Hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Unmotivated Habits Podcast. I had a fantastic conversation with today's guests and I feel like there's still so much more I'd like to learn about the topic, which is hypnotism. And I was excited to explore hypnotism with Doug because I know it's a topic filled with misconceptions and misunderstandings. So we discussed that as well as some tips as to how we can incorporate elements of hypnotism into our daily lives. But the number one tip I'd offer here off the bat is to follow Doug on Instagram because he has free hypnosis Friday chats every week for his followers where he covers pretty much anything and everything. So go check that out. His Instagram is making your meaning. And with that, guys, I don't have much other news uh, besides the fact that I have a few more episodes in the queue to publish. So keep your alerts on and enjoy today's episode. Hi there, my name is Doug Sands. I am the adventure hypnotist and I help would-be adventurers overcome fear and anxiety all over the world. I'm also the host of the Making Meaning podcast, a show that interviews top adventurers about the struggles they've overcome in their journey. Doug, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Very excited to jump into this. Um, I've got a lot of questions for you, but I wanted to start with um, what I'm sure in this profession, it's it's most you're mostly dealing with misconceptions. So <laughs> I wanted to ask you, what are the you know what are the misconceptions? Start with what uh, what hypnosis isn't before we yeah. get into what it is. <laughs> that's an excellent place to start because that's typically where I have to start with most of my clients. <laughs> I usually have the first one I usually have to break down is people ask me, is hypnosis mind control? And it's, well, it's clearly not because hypnosis is all about communicating with someone's unconscious mind. And the unconscious mind is solely there to one, keep you safe and two, keep you happy. And so if you give a suggestion to someone in hypnosis that they don't agree with, they will either ignore that suggestion completely or they will be brought out of trance. A hypnotist friend of mine actually tested this with some volunteers. He gave them five different suggestions. And four of them were beneficial, but one of them was slightly negative. Like, you'll give me $5 after the session or something like that. Mm. And every single time, without fail, their unconscious mind brought them out of trance because it did not feel safe anymore. That hypnotist had broken the trust because hypnosis ultimately is all about building trust and rapport with someone. And so that's the first one I really deal with. Uh, the second one I deal with is Am I going to bark like a dog or cluck like a chicken in my session? <laughs> and there's a big difference between hypnosis for the stage and hypnosis for change work. Hypnosis for the stage, it relies heavily on that tacit contract between the hypnotist and the people who come up on stage. When they come up on stage, they volunteer knowing they're probably going to do some ridiculous things. When a person comes into the therapy room or the change work session, they don't expect to do those ridiculous things. They expect to have some awesome results and to make changes really quickly. And that's typically what happens. So, yeah, you mentioned there's a difference between people coming in for that change and the stage work. Um, are they completely different things? They aren't. They technically are based on the same principles. I mean, I've actually seen... Uh, 
a lot of the inductions, my favorite inductions to use in you know one-on-one, I've seen those adapted for stage. They're built on the same processes for sure, but um, let, let's explain it this way. What I do, it's all about getting people in that relaxing state where they can access those changes. And then when they're there, that's where I have to bring in psychology and these other tools to actually make change. So on the stage, they get them to that same relaxed place, but instead of doing change work, they do ridiculous suggestions. Yeah. Yeah. So in your, in your one-on-one work, do you tip, do you mostly do one-on-one? I do. Yes. Okay. So in your one-on-one work, is it, um, I'm trying to think how to phrase it. Is it, is it people coming to you with a goal in mind typically? Mm -hmm. Uh, and if someone is, is brought in because say it's, say someone wants their partner to be able to make some sort of change. Mm -hmm. If that partner is not a willing participant, is, is it very hard for you to work with them? Yes. That is an excellent point that you bring up because the person who wants the person who's going to have the change, they need to want it because Mm -hmm. otherwise they are, they're not ready to make that change. I mean, let's establish the idea of of threshold. Um, Threshold is that idea that once you hit it, change is easy to happen. It's that Mm -hmm. idea of why someone can quit smoking after 50 or 10 years uh, because they found out they're going to be a parent or something like that. Yeah. When a person is not, when a person is bringing someone else in to a therapy session, that person who is supposed to be the client is not ready to make that change. It's the same thing I see with smoking clients. This is why I don't personally work with smoking clients. It's because the person that signs up for the session is not the same person that shows up for the actual session. They're in a different Mm -hmm. frame of mind. And where at that first step, they were like, I'm I'm ready to be done with this. When they show up, they're like, "Eh, I guess I can be done with this. And the change isn't nearly as effective. So you mentioned that, you know, you don't take on smoking clients for that reason. What are your typical clients? What are they trying to achieve? I specialize in working with people with anxiety. It's kind of a personal thing for me. That was something I struggled with in my own life. Um, I also see a lot of people for weight loss motivation and building Mm -hmm. confidence. Those are probably my top three. So for example, so you mentioned you don't take on smoking clients. Do you experience those same issues with weight loss clients? That, you know, they, they might want that change, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, push comes to shove. It's maybe not, uh, maybe it's not in them. Maybe they don't really want it. Yeah, I do. I say, I see that much more than with anxiety and with building confidence mm-hmm. because there's still this misconception about weight loss hypnosis. People think, you know, you wave the magic hypnosis wand and someone yeah. drops 50 pounds. It's not that at all. What yeah. weight loss hypnosis is, you're changing someone's beliefs and motivations and habits. And then the weight slowly works off as their body catches up with where their mind already is. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. It's about habits because obviously, you know, that's kind of the theme of my show mm-hmm. is to to build upon small habits. Um, in hypnosis, is it something where you have to start small and build upon it? Is it that same idea? We break things down. I wouldn't say we start small. So mm-hmm. if someone comes to me for anxiety, we're not going to tackle the entire hunk of anxiety in one session. We're going to break that down into smaller things. Now, those small things can still be really big. Like if someone yeah. 
has agoraphobia and they can't leave the house, maybe the first session by the end of that, they're able to walk to the end of the street. Which like, is huge. Might absolutely. Seem yeah. Absolutely. And what I think is so cool about working with habits with hypnosis is that it skips over that, you know, that standard 28 or 30 day time period where um, it's not yet unconscious. It's mm -hmm. hypnosis is the fastest way we learn anything because it literally skips that time where we're still learning it consciously, still trying to putz and figure it out. And it takes that learning and puts it immediately into the unconscious where it eventually ends up anyways. Yeah, that it's interesting. I wouldn't have, I didn't think of anxiety as something that um, you'd be dealing with in hip, hypnosis, but it makes sense um, without this, you know, turning into a, turning into an impromptu session. <laughs> what are, how do you deal with um, anxiety? I'm sure a lot of listeners that's, I mean, living in the world today yes. kind of is anxiety. Um, mm -hmm. How does, how does hypnosis, like what are some of the most common forms of anxiety you're dealing with and um, how do you, how do you help with those people? The most common forms, I see a lot of social anxiety. I see mm -hmm. a lot of generalized anxiety. Like there's just, they don't, they can't really specify what it is that's making them anxious. Um, I see a little bit of PTSD, which is like linked to anxiety, but not quite the same, not quite the same beast, if you will. Yeah. Um, and so working with those three areas, it's nice because they all have the same foundation. You have to tweak it and really work with the person in their own situation. But once you know how to do one and you can really experiment with it, then you can deal with all kinds of anxiety. And so in an actual session, when a person comes in, first thing I do, you know, dispel those misconceptions. Yeah. And then after that, I am working with them to craft suggestions in their own language. Because if I give them a suggestion and it's in my wording, it might stick, it might not. But yeah. if we craft a suggestion that their unconscious is already agreed with before we even begin, the change is much more likely to happen. Sure, and then that we, makes sense. Absolutely. And then we go into the hypnosis. And once we get down to that hypnotic state, I run them through um, some proven techniques from psychology and neuroscience and things like that. And then I deliver the suggestions. And then at the end, I bring them out of hypnosis. And then at the very end, I typically do like a five to 10 minute secondary hypnosis session where I just check to make sure the change has happened and it's going to last after the session. Sure. I have a, I have a couple questions yeah. based on that. And I hope I don't forget them as I, I might have to pause to try to remember. <laughs> but the first one is um, you mentioned some people with that, the anxiety they come in with they don't really know what the root cause of it is. And you also mentioned mm -hmm. hypnosis is dealing a lot with the unconscious. I mean, it's dealing entirely with the unconscious. So those, um, those unconscious feelings that they don't really know what's bothering them, do you have to get to the bottom of that first? Or is, is hypnosis kind of a way to help them get, help them get to the bottom of it? Do you need to know what that mm -hmm. underlying anxiety is before you can help uh, treat them? Not exactly. Okay. The way I describe it, imagine talk therapy is like you take your emotional baggage to a therapist and together yeah. you unpack it. You look at every single item. Whereas hypnosis, you take that luggage to a hypnotist and they just get rid of it. 
Like yeah. you don't have to unpack it. You don't have to go relive <laughs> the trauma. Um, I find that it does help to know what the thing is because then you can attack it more directly. But mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you a very interesting example. There was this client I was working with who had some severe trauma in their past and they had mentally blocked it out completely. Like the original sensitizing event, they had, they couldn't even remember what it was. Mm-hmm. And when I was working with them in the hypnosis, I asked them, uncon- you know, speaking with their unconscious, if they wanted to let that person know whether or not, you know, what the thing was. And their unconscious decided not to let them know at all. It just, as we say, got rid of the emotional baggage without yeah. really opening up at all. And so it does help, but you really don't need to dive too deep into the actual trauma to get rid of it. Gotcha. Now that is such a, it's such a crazy concept to say, you know, you were talking to their unconscious and the unconscious was speaking to you. Create like mind blowing concept to me. (laughs) Um, But that's, that's what hypnosis is. And um, Mm -hmm. that idea of, you know, when you say at the end of the session, you brought them out of it. Some people are intimidated by that. Like they, they feel like a, a loss of control. Um, is there a loss of control involved or are they kind of, they're with it, just they're, they're voluntarily, you know, letting you work with their unconscious. It's all about voluntarily letting me work with it because hypnosis is all about control because when you're working with someone, you need to establish rapport and which is just trust with another person. A lot of these times I've, this might be the first time I met the person. Maybe I've seen them another session or two before that. We don't really have a lot of connection up to this point. And so they need to be able to trust me professionally as well as personally, because I'm working not only with whatever issue it is, I'm working with them, you know, with their own mind. Yeah. And so hypnosis with that in mind, hypnosis has to be per, has to be client-led. It has mm-hmm. to be something they willingly go into. That's why I tend not to work with people who get brought in by someone else. Like yeah. if that person comes to me, that's great. But if they're brought in, they are not going to trust me enough to make that change. And their mind is going to resist that. And that's that's I think that's I think the difference from what we believe about that. People think you'd go into hypnosis and you'd lose complete control. But in reality, you wouldn't even go into hypnosis in the first place. Your mind wouldn't be comfortable enough and it wouldn't feel safe enough to go into it. Yeah, if you didn't want that, if you didn't want that help, your mind wouldn't let you do it. Absolutely. So, man, this is so crazy. I'm (laughs) I'm fascinated by it. And as we talk, I'm like, I I would love, you know, this is this is something I'd love to look more into. you mentioned that the dealing with anxiety patients is kind of it hit close to home to you. Uh, can you explain that a little bit? And also, how did you get into this? it's such a it's such a crazy thing? How did you get into it? Oh gosh, yeah, this is a very interesting story. So, I grew up in Wisconsin, of all places, um, flatlands, not a lot of adventure to be had, and I knew I really wanted to live that adventurous life, and. Um, through high school, I was struggling with some depression and some anxiety, and it got worse when I went to college because I was going through these classes and paying thousands of dollars, not knowing what, what I wanted to do. And I eventually dropped out of college just you know, on a whim. I just 
felt it was right. And I started it bouncing around from seasonal job to seasonal job. Do I recommend that? I'm not really <laughs> sure. I can't, don't, don't take my recommendation on that. But when I was in New Hampshire in the wintertime, I went on this hike in the middle of a blizzard. And I probably shouldn't have been out there in the first place. Because to give you an example how thick this blizzard was, I watched a person walk past me on this trail. And within 10 steps behind me, they had vanished into the fog. Like that's how low the visibility was. So I got lost. I bushwhacked down this mountain and night fell. And I got to this point where I either had to give up and freeze to death or just shut my mind off and keep pushing on. And somehow I you know, kept pushing on. That's why I'm still here. But after that, it shook me so much that I couldn't keep living the life that I was living, whether that was dealing with depression or anxiety or just the choices that I was making. I knew something big needed to change. And that, as we were saying, that's the point of threshold for me. That's when I found meditation. And I took to it like I had never, you know, like it was water and I was starving and dying of thirst in the desert. And people don't realize that there's a very interesting link between meditation and hypnosis. When someone has meditated for a long time and they first experience hypnosis, they typically say that just felt like an extremely deep meditation. And what we call guided meditations are actually most often hypnosis sessions. They pull a lot of the same language patterns and different techniques from hypnosis. But in my own story, I got so fascinated with how I was making changes in my own life. And even with the rudimentary tools that I had in the very beginning, I was making some amazing changes just on my own. And when I saw just how quickly it happened, I knew that one, it worked. And two, I really wanted to bring it to more people. And so I got certified, I've started my own practice and slowly over time, I've just been expanding and sharing more about what hypnosis actually is. That is, I mean, if we were sitting down at a restaurant, I'd have so many stories for you about how that all of that hits home to me. Yeah, um, I couldn't possibly. I, I for for example, I had a friend uh, get lost in the New Hampshire mountains. He had to start a fire to break to to get through the night and work, keep the the animals at yeah. bay. That is such a a crazy moment for you, and mm. that to. to have that be a turning point, such a clear and obvious turning point. Um, very, very interesting. And on top of that, when you were explaining hypnosis earlier and, and coming out of it, I thought the same thing. Like when I have a good meditation session and like my alarm, the alarm goes off of my hmm. phone and I had just been, you know, lost in it. Yeah. It's one of those things. It's like, it, it only happens. It happens very occasionally. Um, it's a very tough feeling to replicate. And it sounds like yeah. hypnosis might be a way to get it. It's like hacking. It's like cheating to get yeah. into that state. <laughs> how how is. cool is that? Because I've, I've felt that, like sitting alone with my yeah. thoughts, like you have these realizations of mm. that you know it's your unconscious mm -hmm. speaking to you after the fact. But um, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, go um, for it. I just like to explain kind of the brainwave patterns behind Definitely. regular meditation and you know hypnosis. So our standard brainwave patterns, like what we're at right now, that's what we call the beta range. And that I think is 20 to 24 Hertz, I believe. Yeah. Anything above that 
is where you go when you're in solo meditation. And that kind of surprises some meditators because they think their mind is slowing down, but it's actually speeding up because you're focusing so intently on one thing and excluding your thoughts. You are just really diving into that. Anything below uh, beta, you know, our normal conscious wakingness, that's where we go into trance. And that's where we go into guided meditations and hypnosis. So immediately below beta, you have alpha. And that's where you're at when you're daydreaming or you're caught up in a really good movie. You know, when you're watching that movie, you don't notice the color of the rug or like the couch underneath you. You're just yeah. focused on what it is. You're in that mm -hmm. experience. And below alpha is theta. That's the working state of hypnosis. And that's where all the change happens. And for anyone who's not meditated, theta is that brainwave pattern you pass through right before sleep. That's why hypnosis kind of looks like sleep because theta hovers just above delta and delta is where you're at when you're sleeping. And so theta, it's that creative state where your mind is free flowing, where you're really relaxed. And so if you've ever been conscious when you're right about to fall asleep and you feel that just very peaceful feeling, that's yeah. pretty much what hypnosis feels like. I was speaking. So my last guest, it's not, it's not um, posted yet, but he's um, he's his, an expert on meditation and he's a physician and a surgeon by trade, but he's also an expert in meditation and intermittent silence. And we were discussing that. I call it the the twilight state right before sleep yeah. and how it's, it's a time when, you know, ideas just seem to come out of nowhere. They're, mm -hmm. they're in you, but you don't, you don't know where they're coming from. And uh, it's very interesting to put it that yeah. way, to, to know the science behind it. Mm -hmm. And to just share a story. Edison, I believe, I believe it was Edison. He would fall, he would intentionally fall asleep in a chair with a heavy ball bearing in his hand so that as he was entering that theta state, right when his body was really relaxing, the ball bearing would drop and it would wake him up. And he was conditioning himself to willingly be able to go into that deep creative state. And that's one of the theories that people think that's why he was such a creative inventor. Yeah. Well, I have, as a hypnotist, can you put yourself into those states? Oh, absolutely. It's more difficult than doing it with someone um, yeah. because you have to be not only the, the client, you know, receiving the hypnosis, you have to be the person giving the hypnosis. Yeah. And sometimes there's this, there's this third part of you that's completely separate as well. That's observing it all, like judging both parts. Like you should be more receptive or you should say this instead. Yeah. And you really just have to bring all those people, all those parts of you back into one. So when I first started, I wasn't very effective at it, but now I've got some really good tools and I've got a lot of experience under my belt. I wouldn't say I'm like 100% effective self-hypnosis wise every single time, mm -hmm. because, you know, as we say, threshold, you've got to be ready to make that change. And I should bring up that hypnosis is not 100% effective for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, it's got one of the highest rates of success actually in yeah. many studies more effective than cognitive behavioral therapy and other things like that. But sure. it doesn't work for every single person because of that one factor. You know, you've got to be willing to actually make the changes. Yeah. Well, if anyone finds something that's 100% effective, they should let us know because <laughs> I don't <laughs> think that exists. You got it. Um, yeah. Uh, so you that that does sound a lot like meditation. You can't always get there. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes you can if you're in the right state. A couple little out there questions um, because you mentioned the the hertz and the wavelengths. Mm -hmm. 
you know, there's a bunch of YouTube videos out there now where it's, it's different tones. Um, yeah. Does that, does that do anything? Does, is that helpful at all? You know, I couldn't honestly say because okay. it's, it's not directly connected to hypnosis, but, mm -hmm. um, those kind of modalities like acupressure and acupuncture and hypnosis and NLP, you know, those things kind of get lumped together as alternative yeah. medicine. And so like, I'm familiar with the basics of it, but I don't know enough yet to offer like a scientific answer on it. Okay. And another thing that's probably not connected, but might get lumped <laughs> in there. Yeah. Um, I want to, wanted to ask is, is breath work connected to hypnosis at all? Does that matter to the practice? Breath, breath work is not technically, but um, you know, having started with meditation and being big into yoga, I always bring in breath work because it's, it's one, it's so easy. And two, it's so effective. And that's actually one of the tools that I give my anxiety clients. Um, I usually give them like these tools I can do within two minutes um, in between sessions if their panic arises. And yeah. I actually compiled those into a video series. If your listeners would are curious about it, I give that away on my website. Uh, what's that website? Just so I don't forget. Yeah, that is anywherehypnosis.com. And it's called the seven day stress-free challenge. Okay. Um, I will be there as soon as I'm off this, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, a personal question. Uh, can hypnosis help with pain? Yes. Hypnosis is extremely effective at pain. In fact, that's one of its oldest uses. There is a very famous hypnotist out of the UK named Freddie Jackwin, who has really been practicing this and developing this over the last decades. And so he's a really just widespread his work. And now um, the tools that we have for using hypnosis with pain are extremely effective. And to give a little bit of a history of that, um, I think the first major source that I remember is in the 1800s, there was this British surgeon, I think his last name was Braid. Um, he did a surgery on a man to remove an 80 pound tumor from his body without anesthesia. And in World War I, there were reports that people were running out of anesthesia in the trenches and they were using hypnosis, which was just becoming popular in Europe at the time. And they were actually having a higher rate of success with hypnosis for stopping pain and for survival than with regular anesthesia. Wow. I believe it. And the reason I believe it is because, um, and this is, this is something when I mentioned you were coming on, my wife said, well, that reminds me you're procrastinating. We're supposed <laughs> to be looking for my wife. She's, she's pregnant and mm -hmm. she's due in February mm -hmm. and, um, she's looking into taking hypnobirthing classes. Yes. Yeah. She's heard such great things about it. Um, are you familiar with hypnobirthing at all? I am. Um, I personally do not do it because it is an entire, you know, you've got to be trained in it. It's a couple. It's anyway. an industry in itself, I'm sure. Absolutely. It's like a separate part of it. You've got to, yeah, I don't really touch that. Uh, I do highly recommend that. And for anyone who is curious about that, I've got a fun little fact is that the, the Roman Catholic Church, it approved hypnosis way back in 1847, but the standing Catholic Pope actually recommended hypnosis, I believe in the 1950s, for that exact reason, for helping women give birth when they couldn't use uh, pain relief. That is crazy. I had no idea that it went back that far. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, my wife will be happy to hear that. And uh, <laughs> Doug, 
this has been a I, i'm gonna share this to everyone i know because there's so many people i know are going to be interested uh mm -hmm. before we go uh can you tell everyone where they can find you we we mentioned the website mention it again and then yeah. everywhere else they can find you absolutely so my website is anywherehypnosis.com um i named it that because i work you know completely online i built it yeah. that way before COVID, but <laughs> um and those tools I was mentioning before, you can find that under the seven day stress-free challenge on that website. And there's one other cool resource people can use. If someone has never tried hypnosis and they really want to learn more about it, on my Instagram, I give away free hypnosis sessions every single Friday. And these aren't just like guided meditations. I'm not just putting you in a relaxing state. I'm actually taking the same tools I bring to therapy sessions. And I'm using those in a generalized setting to help people make some amazing changes. I started with anxiety relief. I've done managing food cravings. I think I've got one coming out in January on panic attacks. And so they can find that um, on my Instagram. My handle is at making your meaning. And it's called that because I also run the making meaning podcast, which is where I interview top adventurers about the anxieties they've overcome in their own life. I think that's, I think that's it. So you can help me with my sugar cravings for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I can. Awesome. Well, Doug, thank you so much for coming on, uh, hopping on a little bit late, later than usual. I very much appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, 